If you have your Bibles, join us back in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be in the fifth chapter. So you may be a little confused because for the last few weeks, it, you know, we went kind of Luke uh, 19, kind of went into 23, and then Danny did 24 last week. But the reason that we did that is because we were trying to stay within the framework of the Gospel of Luke as we looked at the Easter story. Now, I, I think it's important that you kind of recognize that we're going to be going through the Gospel of Luke uh, as we have been. Now, we're not going to, to just kind of live there every week from now till we finish uh, the Gospel of Luke. I think that, that would get to be just a little much. So much like we did with the book of Ephesians, we'll continue to study chunks of it as we go and uh, make our way through it. Uh, today, we're going to spend our time looking at what it means when God takes something ordinary and turns it into something extraordinary. What happens when God shows up in our lives and something that has been so ordinary all of a sudden becomes extraordinary? How do we deal with that? How do we find those kind of moments in our lives? And, and how do we really seek out the opportunity for God to do that? Uh, over, if I could just kind of go back over the last few chapters, what we kind of been studying was that the baptism of Jesus was the inauguration of his ministry. And then in Luke chapter four, we studied that temptation that Jesus experienced. And that kind of brings us to Luke chapter five. So the ministry has started for Jesus and, and he's full into it now. And this is the calling of some of the first disciples that we'll see. And so if you have your Bibles, let's begin in verse one. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little from the land. And then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so, so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For those who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will catch people. Then they brought the boats to the land, left everything, and followed them. On this particular night of fishing, things hadn't gone according to plan. It had been fishing like most of the time when I go fishing and maybe like when you go fishing. Uh, there wasn't much action happening. And so they were still working because they had work to do. They weren't finished just because the night of fishing had been completed. They had to work by cleaning their nets. And, and the reason that you would wash the nets is to get all the debris that would be taken up in the nets out of those and make them ready for the next day. Now the boats are anchored in close while they're doing this in the shallow water where the net washing is taking place. In the ancient world, uh, you have a problem with sound amplification, much like we just experienced 
here just a moment ago. But this is everywhere. Sound amplification is a constant thing. If you go with us to Israel, you'll see some of the natural amphitheaters that were created by God, and you'll see some of the, nat- uh, the amphitheaters that were created by men so that they could be able to project sound. And if you've ever been out on the water, you know that there's no better way to project sound than to be on the water. And so Jesus says, to Simon Peter, hey, if you don't mind, let's move this boat out a little bit and I'm going to sit down. He asked him to go a little bit from the shore. Now, if, if I could say something just, and I, I meant to say this earlier, uh, I'm gonna refer to Simon and I may accidentally say Peter or I may say Simon Peter. Our text uses both names, Simon and Simon Peter. And it does that so that we know who we're talking about. It's the apostle Peter. Remember that later Jesus is going to change his name to Peter when they're standing at literally the place called the gates of hell. And and he says to them, uh, I'm going to build my church on this rock and you, Simon, are the little rock. And, And that's how he changes his name to Peter, which is what that means. And so Jesus approaches him and says, hey, let's do this. And could you just imagine with me Jesus being out on a boat and it moves out and it says he sits down. And I don't know what Simon was doing. Maybe he got back out of the boat and and began to, to keep washing those nets, but I don't think so. I think he probably sat in the back of the boat and he's watching Jesus and listening as he's teaching the crowd. And as he's finishing his time of teaching, he tells Simon, let's go out a little bit farther and I want you to let down the nets for a catch one more time. Look at verse four and five. It said, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon said, we've worked all night hard. We've caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. It doesn't seem to me that Simon fully understands the extent of who Jesus is yet. That comes later when Jesus questions all of the disciples and says, who do people say that I am? And and that's when Peter gets his name, right? He says, I believe you're the Christ, the son of the living God. But at this moment, notice the word that he uses for Jesus. He calls him master, teacher. You know, it's a term of respect that he's, he's giving him. He says, master, you don't understand. We've done this. We've tried that. It didn't work. It's a bad night. The water's murky. The wind's not right. Things aren't going well for us. We're tired. We really just want to put the nets back that we've been washing and get home and get ready for the next night of fishing. No doubt Simon was impressed by Jesus's ability to hold a crowd's attention and and the teaching that he gives. But after all, Jesus is is not a fisherman. He's a teacher. I mean, Simon's the fisherman, John's the fisherman, James the fisherman. They're the experts in this. They know what they're doing. And Simon being tired and frustrated is is kind of having this work to do of washing the nets so that they could call it a day. But Simon's about to learn something that all of us need to learn. And it really comes back to Proverbs chapter three and verse five. You may know this verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. Simon would have had a great knowledge about the lake, the fishing conditions, his own abilities, and and even his equipment. This was something that he earned his living from. This is something that he'd probably been brought up in, in the family way of, of learning a trade. So he is an expert in this. This is not a guy going to Walmart like you and I to buy some night crawlers to fish for some brim once a year. You know what I mean? This is someone who knows what he's doing. What I love about his response is that it has some incorrect assumptions about Jesus 
and some correct assumptions about Jesus. The incorrect assumptions about Jesus. First, he says, uh, look, I mean, we already did this. What do you know that I don't know? What do you, what could you possibly know that I don't know? I mean, we've been out in the water while you've been preparing the message, sir. While you were worrying about what you were gonna speak to these people, we were at labor all night long doing these things. We know what we're doing. What do you know that we don't know? Well, Jesus knows something that they don't know. His assumption is Jesus doesn't understand the situation and that he, possibly, he can't possibly do anything to change that situation. And yet, he says something amazing. But master, if, if that's what you want, we'll go out and do it. Sure, we can do that. That's the Proverbs 3 part of it. God, I've tried this, but I'm going to obey you. God, I, I, I've done the best that I can do, but because you say to do this, I'm going to do it. And, and it's that thing where we say, I'm trusting beyond what I understand, my framework, my understanding, to believe that what you're saying is the right thing. You know, I, I, I can't even begin to tell you how many times we need to do this in our lives because a lot of times we have that attitude, don't we? This attitude of, I've tried that. I've done that before. I've been there. I've seen that. I'm not, I'm not really interested in doing that again. But that's really the difference between growing and stagnant Christians. Growing Christians are always willing to do what the master says, and they're always willing to try one more time. Stagnant Christians have this attitude, and they kind of adopt it. And, and i, I got to be honest, I find myself doing this too, and maybe you do. Is, I mean, we've been there. We've done that. Could it really be any different? I mean, what's one more Bible study at church gonna make a difference in my life? I mean, I've been on that mission trip. I've, I've tried that. What difference is it really going to make in my life? And we feel like, uh, what, what happens is uh, we, we can't measure up in some way to make a difference. And that's true because we don't make the difference. God does. But we, we often do this. We say things like, you know, I, I can't change my marriage. Nothing's going to change at work. It's too difficult. I've tried hard in school. I, I can't measure up to what they want me to do. Maybe we wanted to serve the Lord. We wanted to know the Bible. And somebody invites us to a Bible study and we just feel like, I mean, how many more Bible studies can I sit through? Each one of these situations requires us to trust the Lord in a new way and seek his guidance. Because we might be just like Simon. We might feel like we understand the situation. We've seen it before. We've experienced it before. And yet, we can't possibly know the outcome of what happens when Jesus shows up. We might believe we're the expert in the subject matter, but I wonder if we would be as bold as Simon is and just do what the Lord says. If we would just get to the point where we would say, yes, master. I mean, I feel like I've done this before, but if that's what you want me to do, I'm in. I'll do it for sure. Some of us are held up right now because like Simon, we're stuck in our incorrect assumptions about the Lord. I'm not going to find a spouse, so I'll just keep dating people that are unbelievers because God can't bring someone to me. It, it won't work. Can't work. There's nobody for me to date. I don't have enough money right now. I can't trust God with my finances. 
There's no way that I could tithe. No way. It won't work. Can't possibly work. It doesn't make sense. I'm trying to raise this child, Lord, and, and I'm not seeing the change that I feel like they need. And, and, and I don't know. I'm, I'm going to spend my time worrying and not praying. And what we should be is the exact opposite, right? The breakthrough comes when we acknowledge who Jesus is and obey him, even though we feel like we've tried it before, even though we feel like we know the outcome and how it's going to be. And I want you to see what happens when Jesus shows up. Look at verse six. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish. Their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled up both boats so full they began to sink. So what happens, honestly, is nothing short of a miracle, is it? The men went from catching nothing to being overwhelmed with a catch that was miraculous. It was more than they could handle. The conditions the night before had not been favorable. Nothing had changed. I mean, there was nothing about the new weather pattern that morning that made Simon say, yeah, hey, let's give it another shot real quick. I think the fish are biting. Look, look out there. We're seeing a, a school of fish come by. Quick, guys, let's go. That hadn't happened. What changed was that Jesus had showed up. And that's really the difference between anything that's ordinary in your life and anything that's extraordinary. When God comes nearby, the difference is noticeable and often quantifiable. We might be on a mission trip to a place we've been before and God shows up. We might be teaching a life group like we do week after week after week and God shows up. We might be at work doing our job, doing normal things, just the things that we need to do and God shows up. Moses was tending sheep in the land of Midian for 40 years when God showed up. A burning bush. And it changed his life. Gideon was on the threshing floor, hiding. I'm sorry, he was actually in the wine press hiding, not the threshing floor, hiding from his enemies. Doing what he had been doing for years because every time they had a crop, people came in and tried to take it. They were stealing it from them. So he's, high, he's doing what he always does and God shows up. The New Testament records the story of a woman with an issue of blood who had gone to doctor after doctor after doctor and sought the best medical advice she could and nothing would change her situation. And one day Jesus walked by and she happened to touch the hem of his garment and her issue was resolved. God showed up. When God shows up, the ordinary day becomes extraordinary. Do you remember in Isaiah 55 earlier this year, we studied about the scripture that says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Now, as a reminder, that doesn't mean that God is closer today and farther away tomorrow. God doesn't doesn't move like that. But the point of it is, is that sometimes God draws near to us for a visitation when he wants to change something in our lives or, or he wants to pour out a blessing in our lives or his spirit moves in an unusual way in our lives. And the scripture reminds us to be ready for that. And when it happens to seek the Lord, maybe a season that comes by, when that happens, it changes everything. It's God who takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. And I just wanna remind us, that that's actually what he's in the business of doing because he takes what's broken and marked by sin and makes it whole again. Simon responded in the most curious way, doesn't he? He doesn't jump up and down and get excited. He doesn't start giving high fives to everybody on the shore. He doesn't uh, scream, that's awesome, this is crazy, look at this. In fact, look at what he says in verse eight. When Simon Peter saw this, 
he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I am a sinful man. That's a curious response. I don't know about you, but my first thought would be, hey, can you hang around tomorrow too? Because I've got some more fishing to do. Is there any way you could be around this week? Because I feel like I just won the lottery. When you show up, the fish come. When you say to put out over here, the fish, could you just tell me where I need to fish? Could could it be that way? And that's not exactly what he says. He says, hey, Lord, you got to get away from me. Go away. It wasn't that he didn't want to be around Jesus, but all of a sudden, Simon Peter was confronted with the holiness of who God was, and it's on display because he's the expert, but Jesus has shown up to be the authority. There's a difference. I know a lot of things about a lot of things. You do too. You're an expert in many ways in certain things. You might not feel like you're much of an expert. CNN might not call you and ask for a comment uh, about the latest news story or, or Vanderbilt University might not call you and ask you to come solve a problem, but you're an expert about certain things in your life and certain things that you have observed through your life that have shaped you to be that way. But, but it's different when the authority shows up. Being a, a, a subject matter expert is not the same thing as being the authority. Now, I think many of us believe it would be awesome to be visited by an angel or have a conversation today with Jesus. And I mean, if you listen to country songs, that, that, that kind of a conversation with Jesus would probably happen in a bar somewhere and it would be awesome. And he'd tell us how great we are. and We talk God and we talk religion. That's not exactly what happens in the scripture, is it? Most of the time when a visitation happens from an angel, how does the angel start? Don't be afraid. Fear not. Why do you think that is? You don't, you don't reassure people who aren't afraid that they shouldn't be afraid. Do you know what I mean? That's not how it works. You don't walk up to somebody like, I don't come in the house and announce my presence by saying, fear not. It doesn't work that way. I normally walk in the house and say, pay attention over here. You know, I'm home. Can we turn off the TV for a minute? It's different. When people have an encounter with the living God or, or his messengers, it's a crazy thing that happens because there's often a, a fear factor there of what's happening. And Simon says something that's amazing. He understands now a little bit more of who Jesus is. Notice what he said. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus and he says, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. What did he call him in the first passage? Master, term of respect, Lord. The, the difference is, is palpable. The term master is given to someone who is highly esteemed and worthy of respect, but Lord is someone who is master over all. So he started by saying, uh, master, I mean, we'll do it. Not that interested in doing it, but because you say so, I mean, you got a crowd around here. I mean, maybe you know something, I don't know. But now he calls him Lord. You're not just master, you're master overall. I, I, I'm understanding who you are. Now, for many of us in the room, if, if we're to be honest, Jesus has become something much bigger than just a teacher or someone who should be esteemed. He's not just the master. He really is our Lord. He's become our Lord. And the Bible says that's an important step for us in bringing us back to God the Father. Our relationship with God the Father 
has been broken because of our sin. And there's nothing that we can do in and of our own to be able to repair that relationship. Now, people try. They try to do better. I'm, they almost treat it like their relationship with God like a diet. You know, this year, I'm going to do better. I'm going to go to church more. This year, I'm going to try to swear less. This year, I'm going to be a better person. This year, I'm going to volunteer in the community more. I'm really going to try to try to be a model citizen and change things so that God will be pleased with me. But the problem is, is that trying to be good enough is a failing effort because the Bible says there's no one good, no one righteous, no one who seeks after God. It says we're all like sheep who go astray, each to our own way. We can try to pursue our own goals, our own happiness, but it doesn't lead to anywhere that's meaningful. But the remedy, see, is found in Christ Jesus. Just like in this story, Jesus shows up in our lives too. And today may be the first time that you have ever considered what it means to be a Christ follower, but I do want to talk to you about that for a second because the Bible says that everyone is in need of an encounter with Jesus Christ just like this. Not so that you can fill your boat. That wasn't the point. Because as we saw and we'll see at the end of it, Jesus tells them, leave all that stuff behind. The filling of the boat wasn't that important. It was to show something and reveal something and it revealed who Jesus was. God wants to show up in your life and he does it through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that, that Christ came and died for us. The son of God in our place because we were sinners and our best efforts were still keeping us far away from God. And so Christ dies for us and restores the relationship that we need with God the Father. And he's able to do that because he lived a sinless life and died in our place. Did this because we were full of sin and we were destined for judgment. But thanks be to God through Christ Jesus that we can know him and, and just like Simon we have to have an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ and to be honest with who we are and who Jesus is. And that's honestly, I think, the thing that's missing so many times. Because we, we look at Jesus and we say, well, he, he is an interesting person to read about. The miracles would be cool. He is a good moral teacher. But that's not being honest with who Jesus said he was. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one's coming to the Father except through me. You will not get there. But we have to be like Simon as well. We have to be honest about ourselves. Simon looked at himself when he saw Jesus and said, I am a sinner. But as long as we think, well, I'm not that bad. I mean, there are worse people than me. My favorite I've never killed anyone. Is, is that the standard? Doesn't appear to be in scripture, does it? If Adam can be sent out of the garden for violating one command that seems really, I mean, seemingly insignificant to us, doesn't it? I thought about that yesterday as I ate an apple. We have no idea what the fruit was. In, in our kind of historical understanding of that, you see people paint pictures and depict it as an apple or whatever. I was eating an apple yesterday and I thought about that. All for this, huh? That seems insignificant. And yet to God, 
it broke the relationship and the understanding of who they were and how they could relate to God was forever altered. We've been forever altered in our relationship with God and the only way for us to get back is when we acknowledge who we truly are. Sinners in need of saving and rescue. At the end of this service, I'm going to invite you to give your life to Christ. If you've never done it, I pray that today you would have an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ and you'd be able to answer the question, who is Jesus and who am I? Simon did, you're the Lord and you gotta get away from me because I'm sinful. That day on the lake shore totally changed Simon Peter, James and John. They left everything that they had to follow Jesus and, and it's interesting because Jesus gave them a new commission and it actually sounds something uh, much more important than fishing. He said, don't fear, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. And that's really what happens to every believer, isn't it? That comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We join him in the great commission. We join him in laboring for souls. Just like everything changes and goes from ordinary to extraordinary, now we, we have something that's commissioning us to a higher calling. You may see yourself as a doctor or a teacher or a professional, or you may see yourself more in the role that you function within your family, and yet when you meet Jesus, it changes that role because you're now doing that role for the glory of God, for the kingdom, to reach people for Jesus Christ. The ordinary, the mundane, becomes extraordinary. I wanna ask you to consider this morning how we build a framework for having moments in our life that take us from ordinary to extraordinary. There's three things that I think might help us this morning to experience the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the Holy Spirit, of God the Father, on a more regular basis. You cannot manipulate when God comes near. I, I wanna start by saying that, you just can't. But if there were three things that we might do, it might put us in more of a position we might have an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing is that you see that the disciples were in close proximity to Jesus. If you want to have a visitation with Jesus, if you want God to change something amazing in your life, it would make sense, wouldn't it, that you would be in close proximity to Jesus. And you can do that by reading your Bible this morning. You're going to do it tomorrow morning. It may not seem like very much, but every time you open your Bible, and you have a time of study with the Lord, it gives you a chance for God to speak in your life, for the ordinary to become extraordinary. The closer you are to the master, the closer you are to his power, and it sets you up for these types of encounters. Well, when we seek the Lord, he speaks. We set ourselves up for divine encounters. And I know sometimes in my own daily study of the scriptures, I don't feel like I'm accomplishing much. It, it just, I mean, it, it just feels like an exercise in doing what I know I can do and should do because it's available to me. And it may not feel earth shattering that day, but oftentimes the Lord imparts something that I'll write or jot down in my journal that months later, years later, he brings back up and he uses again and again. So if we could have close proximity to Jesus, we're already in good shape, right? So, so every chance that you get, that's number one. Number two, be around the place where God is worshiped, exalted, and lifted up. Many of the great moments of God, when he comes near, 
are where people are already seeking him and already worshiping him and God moves. We saw this earlier this year when we watched what happened in Wilmore, Kentucky with the Asbury Revival. We saw God come near again and change people's lives. Well, what were they doing? They were doing what we do here every Sunday. They came in and they worshiped the Lord. And as they were doing what they should be doing, guess what? God showed up. And in doing so, a blessing was poured out on those people that I hope continues to change the world for years to come. Well, what we begin to see is that as, as we do that, as we lift up the Lord Jesus and prioritize the worship of God the Father, amazing things happen. Now, let me ask you a question about that. Is your life built on that priority? And before you answer, how many times have you missed in the last month? Look back at your calendar. Your calendar doesn't lie. What I often find is that we generally think we do better at things than we really do, right? I generally think that I've done pretty well until I start charting my food for the week, you know? I had a dietitian study one time and I thought I was doing great. And she said, uh, hey, you need to chart your food for the week. And I realized I hadn't moved the needle very much. You know what I mean? In my mind, I had. I mean, I'd cut down from four cookies a day to three. For some people, that may not be monumental, but for me, it felt like it was big. But I mean, really, is your priority in life living, worshiping, serving the Lord? If it's not, something needs to change. Build your life around that and, and, and let it tell a different story. The third thing, if you really want to see God take you from the ordinary to the extraordinary, and I, I cannot stress this one enough, because this one seems maybe a little bit out of left field, but I think it's very, very important. Get around people who prioritize their relationships with the Lord Jesus Christ. Get around people who prioritize their relationships with the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how many times the Lord has come near to someone I've been around and just like a car driving by on the road, it splashed a little bit of that mud on me, you know? It's a great thing when you're around people who are serving the Lord and living for the Lord. I've been blessed so many times in my life by being around godly people over and over and over again. And the incredible things is that so many times when that happens, God, what God gives them, he uses in my life. What, what God gives them, he, he lets a little bit of that overflow into my life. And so if you wanna have God come near, you spend time with the Lord, you prioritize worship, and you get around people. Now, if you're young in the room, particularly if you're a student, you're a young professional, I cannot stress this enough. Young families, I cannot stress this enough. The people who you spend your life with are ultimately going to influence your life. You can't get away from it. Irrefutable law. So if you want some of this, get around people who are on fire for Jesus and let it rub off on you. Let some of that blessing splash up on you like, like the mud when a car drives by. And you'll find that if you're around godly people and you're hanging out with them, your life's going to be blessed by it. Well, Moses had an encounter with God at the burning bush and a nation was freed from captivity. Gideon had an encounter with the angel of the Lord and he took people that were being persecuted and robbed and everything that was taken from them and God used him in an incredible way to, to throw off the yoke of persecution that was in their lives. The woman with the issue of blood 
How many times I have thought to that story as I've prayed for people who were sick and hurting? Because she had to get out and touch somebody, Jesus. She had to touch Jesus on the garment, right? Well, I don't need to touch Jesus on the garment. He's sitting right by the, the Father right now, and we get to pray. And, and I mean, I think about how what God did in her life has affected so many of us as we think about praying to God the Father, knowing that he can heal people. You see, what God does in, in my life is meant for others as well. What God does in your life is, is meant for others as well. And God wants to take what's ordinary and make it extraordinary. So let's not get caught up this week in believing that we've seen it all before and nothing can impress us and we've tried it all before and let's be busy doing what we know we need to do and trust that God's gonna come by. He's gonna visit with us and change the ordinary to extraordinary. Would you pray with me? Maybe today you need that touch from the Lord. Maybe you're facing something that feels like you're just a little bit stuck, a little stagnant. And I just want to challenge you right now. Would you go before the Lord and ask him to show up and to take the ordinary mundane stuff of your life and turn it into something extraordinary? And what about you who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Could you be honest with yourself? Who is Jesus and who are you? You're going to have to deal with that question eventually. Why not do it today? All the Bible says there is grace that overflows to us beyond measure. Nothing you've done can keep you from God the Father when Jesus comes into your life. And nothing you can do will get you to God the Father without Christ. Would you give your life to Christ today? I urge you, trust the Lord. And, and maybe you say, I don't know how to do that. Well, I, I wanna pray just a, a prayer this morning and, and maybe you'd repeat it silently in your own heart, your own mind to the Lord. Let's start by being honest with who we are. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. There's just stuff in my life, Lord. I've tried. I've tried being good. I've tried working hard, but I realize today that I'm separated from God because of my sin. I need you to save me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin that you were buried and you rose on the third day. And I trust you for salvation and confess you as my Lord. Save me today. Lord God, our Father, we pray to you now and ask that you would visit us and turn the ordinary parts of our life extraordinary. Father, I pray that you would save someone this morning, that you would move and lead someone to salvation. And God, may we have the ability to trust you 
beyond our human understanding and know that you are working and that when you show up, it changes everything. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.